Tim. And yes, yeah, so as, as I mentioned, Tim, as Tim mentioned, we're in a mini-series looking at sort of characters of faith in the Bible and then what we can learn from them today. And so um, I'm going to look at Moses and uh, I'm to try and um, unpick a couple of things that we can learn um, from him today. Um, as I'm sure many of you know, Moses uh, was a... Was a was a pretty incredible man, and he uh, had an amazing life. He's actually um, sort of heralded throughout the um, Jewish people, even today, as sort of one of their heroes, um, as someone who, who received the law um, of God. Um, and uh, he led the Israelites out of captivity and into freedom, and he's celebrated throughout the Old Testament and into the New as sort of this great hero of faith. Um, and what I, I want to do today is just sort of unpick a bit of um, the start of Moses' journey and what we can learn from him um, today. But let's, um, I want to just do a whistle-stop tour through his life, just to fill, um, just to give us like a broad picture before we um, zoom in on a couple of bits. So Moses was born when the, uh, when the Israelites were um, in captivity. They were slaves. They were oppressed by the Egyptians. Um, but he was born and raised in Pharaoh's house. Um, and sort of brought up sort of as royalty. So you'd have had um, luxurious upbringing, amazing food, probably first-class education with that. Um, and so he had it sort of all going for him. And one day he was wandering out on the street and he saw a, an Egyptian slave dri driver um, beat one of his fellow um, uh, Jews. Uh, and Moses obviously had a bit of a temper. Um, he attacked him and he killed him. And then sort of fearing the repercussions, he then fled. Um, and found himself in the desert um, as, as a shepherd. And so he's suddenly gone, at this point, he's suddenly gone from um, being in the, in, the, in the middle of Pharaoh's house with all this luxury and all this fine food and fine education, and he suddenly found himself um, in the middle of nowhere, in the desert. And instead of being entertained in Pharaoh's palace, uh, he is entertaining sheep um, um, owned by his father-in-law. And so he's really in the pit. He's really at, at his lowest ebb. And at this point, all his upbringing and all, his, um, all that luxury must have um, seemed like a total waste. The rug had been completely taken from under his feet. Uh, and so I just want to uh, pause for a moment there in Moses' story and look at Exodus 3. So if you've got um, a, one of those church Bibles, if you can grab one, we're going to spend quite a lot of time in Exodus 3 and 4, so it'd be great if you can grab one. Um, it's on page 57. So if you can get sight of that, that would be really good. We're going we're gonna to be there for a while. So, um, yeah. So it's page 57, Exodus 3. Starting in, uh, in chapter 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. He led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. 
The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hands of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Israelites are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. So it's a pretty amazing call. It's a pretty um, strong encounter with God. He sees this bush which isn't burning and then the living God comes and speaks to him from it. Um, But at this point in his life, perhaps understandably, Moses is having a bit of a crisis of confidence. He... um, uh, and they have a little exchange where Moses is kind of like, I can't do it, uh, I don't want to do it, and, uh, and God is like, it's fine, I'll be with you. And, um, but we'll, we're going to come back to that a bit later on. But eventually Moses agrees to go. He goes back to Egypt, goes to Pharaoh. Um, Pharaoh proves a little hard to convince. The Israelites are quite a good um, asset to have. They're providing free slave labor. But, uh, so God um, works this number of miracles. Eventually um, Pharaoh agrees and, uh, to let them go. And the Israelites, Moses leads the Israelites out of Egypt. Uh, with much celebration and singing. Uh, And they get to the Red Sea, and then Pharaoh changes his mind, sends his army. They've got the Red Sea on one side and Pharaoh's army on the other, and they're trapped. Um, uh, But again, um, God works an amazing miracle. The Red Sea splits, and they walk into freedom. And then um, you'd have thought, perhaps, after that, that... um, that uh, the Israelites would sort of realise that God was on their side and God was a pretty good person to follow. But they prove quite unruly. They um, sort of uh, keep on grumbling and complaining at Moses. Um, but Moses, by contrast, kind of stays faithful to God throughout the whole time. And, he's a, uh, and he leads the Israelites um, towards freedom. God gives them the law, the Ten Commandments, and um, on how best to worship and live in community. So you can see that Moses has a pretty... Um, uh, incredible life, and he is celebrated um, massively by the Jews even today. And you can see why the author of Hebrews um, includes him as this hero of faith. But what what I want to do, what I think that we can learn from Moses' life um, today, I want to see if we can sort of almost forget that we know the rest of the story and um, and go back to to the start, to Moses' first encounter with God. And sort of it's easy uh, when we look at these great people of faith in the Old Testament to sort of hold them up on a pedestal and think, well, they're the A-listers kind of thing. They're the Premier League Christians um, and uh, and forget that, um, forget what they're like underneath. And I think that's what I want to do today is try and let's, let's sort of pretend that we don't know the rest of the story. Because actually what I think we're, um, what, what we think God is um, trying to speak to us today is actually about Moses' weakness and his inadequacy. Um, and I think he's got a real message, uh, the Spirit has got a real message for us today which we'll come to. Um, I think that's something that we can learn from Moses is his utter weakness and his utter um, dependence on God. And so to do that, let's just jump back to Moses' first encounter with God at the burning bush. Um, and so this is the point, remember, so if we don't know the rest of the story, this is the point where Moses at his lowest ebb. He's had everything going for him in Egypt. He had all that luxury, and then he committed murder. So he's a, he's a guilty murderer, and he's fled. And he's now um, in the desert. And so verse, in verse 1, chapter, chapter 3 um, says this, now Moses tending the flock of, his, of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, 
the mountain of God. And that first thing, and I think that's the first thing that's really, really key. Moses led the flock to the far side of the wilderness. So this is the point. So it's, he's at the farthest possible point from all that, was, that he thought was good in his life, all that luxury in Pharaoh's palace. He's on the far side of the wilderness. Everything that had been going for him and going well in Egypt has been taken away, and he's at the farthest possible point from that. And that's where God speaks to him. I think that's really, really significant. Um, and I think and there's this old... There's that old um, spiritual kind of truth, which is that um, all that old saying about the, the mountaintop experiences are great, but it's, where, it's in the valleys where stuff grows. Um, and I think that is just a real encouragement that God wants to bring to maybe a few of us today. Um, so a couple of summers ago, I, was, uh, I climbed Snowdon, which is a comparatively small mountain, with a couple of friends. And we, um, we climbed along this ridge, and we felt like real um, explorers, felt like real, like... Um, Adventurers, we were just in like our shorts and trainers, but um, it felt amazing. We felt like we were on the um, on the sort of the edge of the world. We climbed along this ridge um, and uh, to get to the top, uh, and it was amazing. It was a clear day. It was beautiful. You could see for miles, um, and it was exhilarating. There was a wind and everything, and it just was an incredible day. But we got to the top, and I um, and I realised. You look around, and there's nothing, nothing basically there. It's kind of there's this rocky, it's this rocky, barren top, and there's a few tufts of grass here and there, but there's nothing really growing, anything. And you can see for miles, and it's amazing, but uh, it's not until that we came back down Snowdon, we got in our car uh, and drove back into the valleys, that, um, that, we, that stuff really started to grow, that there was life uh, and growth. And I think that is, uh, that is so true. That's such, a, uh, that's such a key truth for our spiritual lives, that we have these amazing mountaintop experiences, these big highs where uh, we feel like real adventurers. We feel like we're really exploring. We can see for miles and everything seems amazing and sort of the, the proverbial wind is kind of in our hair and it feels incredible. Um, and then we um, descend into the valleys and maybe it's not so exciting and we can't see so far and, um, and it's a bit harder work. And I just think there's a real point of encouragement here for anyone who is, um, who is feeling that they're in a spiritual valley, that it's in these valleys where God sows real growth and real depth in our characters. And often it's where he, he, he speaks to us, where he whispers to us, it's in these valleys. And, uh, and Moses was in a, is in uh, like one of the biggest spiritual valleys. He's on the far side of the wilderness. That's where he takes his flock. And that's where God meets him. That's where he has his uh, burning bush experience. He's on the far side of the wilderness. So let's spend um, a little bit more time not, um, looking at um, what happened when God met with Moses. Um, I think it's really, really key that we get this because if we... Um, if we forget the rest, if we, this encounter with God, this sets up everything that's to come. So at this point, Moses is at his lowest ebb, he's at his lowest possible moment. Um, and it's at this point that God speaks to him, and this is the foundation of everything that's to come. Everything that we know of Moses as a hero kind of thing, everything is based upon this encounter with God at the burning bush. So it's really, really key that we see this as kind of the platform for everything that's to come. And so, um, so at this point, Moses, he's, uh, 
He's been in Egypt, he's committed murder, he's fled. He's now holding the sheep, they're now looking after the sheep. And he sees the burning bush, God speaks to him. And then just at the end of, um, if we pick it up in chapter 3, verse 9, um, God has revealed himself, said who he is. Um, and he says, and now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I've heard, uh, I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses says to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you, that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. God said to Moses, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent you. So this is um, pretty incredible stuff. God has re- not only has God kind of revealed himself to Moses in an amazing, miraculous way through the burning bush, he's laid out his heart for Israel, his passion for Israel. He said who he is, and he's commissioned Moses to do it. But you would have, and you would have thought perhaps at this point that Moses would kind of get the picture. But he questions God twice. He says, who am I that can go? And then even when God encourages him with that and says, I will be with you, then he questions God again. And, it, and you'd have thought, so, but you'd have thought after these two answers, maybe Moses would have started to get the picture, but he doesn't. If we jump to chapter 4, verse 1, Moses answered, What if they do not believe me or listen to me? The Lord did, and, and say, What the Lord did not appear to you. Then the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, Throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake and he ran from it. Then the Lord said, reach out your hands and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe the Lord, the God of your fathers, God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob has appeared to you. Then the Lord said, put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand into his cloak and when he took it out, the skin was leprous. It had become as white as snow. Now put it back into your cloak, he said. So Moses put his hand back into his cloak, and when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. Then the Lord said, if they do not believe you or pay attention to the first sign, they may believe the second. But if they do not believe these two or listen to you, take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. The water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. And so you'd have thought maybe at this point, Moses has had this incredible thing at the burning bush. God's revealed his heart, revealed who he is. Moses has questioned him twice and God's come back at him. And then Moses has questioned God again. And God has come back with three miracles, three signs that he can use, that, that, he, that, Moses is, uh, that God has given Moses to sort of to verify that it is God, that this is the living God. And you'd have thought at this point that, um, that Moses would accept and like realise and get the picture kind of thing, but he still doesn't. And so um, verse 10, Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouth? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and I will teach you what to say. 
And so after God has revealed himself and he's given his heart and then he's given him the miracles and then he's even reassured Moses about his speech impediment, about his stutter. And so maybe at this point you'd have thought finally Moses is going to get the picture and agree. (laughs) But in verse 13, Moses has just run out of excuses. He's got nothing left to come back, but he still doesn't want, he still doesn't get it. He still doesn't say yes. And all he says is, pardon your servant, Lord, please send someone else. In verse 14, the Lord's anger burned against Moses and he said, what about your brother Aaron the Levites? I know he can speak well. He is already on his way to meet you and he'll be glad to see you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you to speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak for the people for you. It will be as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. But take this staff in your hand so you can perform signs with it. And finally, Moses agrees to go. Um, And I just want us to really, really understand this encounter because, as I said, it sets the platform for the rest of Moses' life and all that we celebrate in Moses' life. This is the platform. And and I think the the key thing, as we've seen, Moses really is not keen on the job. Five times Moses questions or doubts or just point blank refuses God. And this is really, really key. At no point does God big up Moses at no point does he sort of say no it's great Moses you're fine you're great you've got this kind of thing at no point does he offer any kind of um, motivation or encouragement that you'd expect from a kind of pastoral figure if you're having a few doubts and you know why it's because God telling Moses how strong and gifted he was wouldn't be encouragement at all because Moses isn't strong and he isn't gifted He's, he's a weak and desperate and alone man. It would be entirely discouraging. And actually what God does, as he so often does to us, is God gives us encouragement, gives us the encouragement we really need, not by telling us how great we are or how, good, um, or how much we've got it, but how great he is. And so God gives Moses the encouragement he really needs. He doesn't tell him how great he is. He reminds Moses how great God is. Moses has his initial crisis of confidence and says, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? God doesn't sort of pat him on the back and say, you're great, you're fine. He says, I will be with you. And at every stage, God responds to Moses' doubts or queries with nothing to do with Moses, but everything to do with God. And when Moses finally uh, agrees to go and finally um, obeys God's call, the result of this encounter is that for the rest of Moses' life, he is utterly dependent on God. He knows how inadequate he is. He knows how unqualified he is. He knows that, that it's not down to him. Nothing can come from him. Nothing, there's nothing he can do. And so for the rest of his life, Moses is utterly dependent on God. When, uh, when Pharaoh didn't believe Moses and refused to let the Israelites go, Moses went straight to God, and it was God that provided the plagues. When, uh, uh, when the Israelites were trapped at the Red Sea uh, and the Pharaoh's army was coming after them and the Israelites were panicking, Moses went straight to God, and it was God that parted the Red Sea. And when, Mo- when the Israelites were complaining and desperate at him in the desert, Moses went straight to God, and God provided the manna. Um, and I just think that there's, there's something here that God really wants to encourage us for maybe though anyone here who's feeling uh, weak and inadequate 
or uh, the next challenge and the next season, maybe September, holds something for you that you feel utterly ill-equipped for. Uh, and I just think there's a real thing of encouragement here that it's, uh, that it's not down to you. And I just want to focus one thing. I think this is something that's really key that the Spirit has got for us today. Um, and it's just going to fast forward a bit to Exodus 14. So at this stage, Moses has finally agreed to obey God's call. He's gone back to Egypt. He's, they, they've, he's met Pharaoh. Pharaoh's refused. They've had the plagues. Eventually, Pharaoh agrees. And, the Israel, and Moses leads the Israelites up out of Egypt. Towards, and they get to the Red Sea. And then they're trapped. Mo, Pharaoh set, changes his mind. He sends his army after him. And so they've got Pharaoh's army coming from the one side. And they've got the Red Sea on the other. And they are trapped. Uh, and Exodus 14 verse 10 says this. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done by bringing us out of Egypt? And so this is, this is a pretty fraught moment. This is, um, it's pretty tense. And then this is the really, this is the really key bit. Moses, um, in verse 13, answered the people, do not be afraid, stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see, you will never see again. And then verse 14, this is key, the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. And that's something that I think um, the Lord really wants to impress on us today because we are trained and conditioned to um, stand up for ourselves, to, to fight for ourselves, to sort of fight our corner kind of thing. Uh, and I think probably especially in London, um, competency and ability and how well you handle sort of uh, pressure situations, how well you handle crises, um, we're trained to sort of be strong in those times. And this is the ultimate uh, pressure situation. And because of his encounter with God, because of everything that's come before, Moses knows there is nothing he can do. There's nothing that was his, um, he is utterly inadequate. Nothing can come from him. And so he says, verse 14, the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. I think that is a massive challenge for us today. It's, um, it's very difficult to hear when everything's going well and we're doing really well. Uh, maybe your job or your home or whatever it is is going very well. But the truth is, is that, uh, that we are nothing without God. That, that from the beginning of creation, we were created out of nothing. God created us lovingly and graciously out of nothing. But not only that, something that we forget in, in the story of creation is that God goes on sustaining us lovingly and graciously. It's not as if um, he creates us and then stops. He creates us and then ongoingly, lovingly and graciously sustains us every single day. Even when we're walking in the complete opposite direction from him, even when we're taking absolutely no notice of everything that he's done, he carries on lovingly and graciously sustaining us. And that's something that's, that's sort of an ongoing aspect of creation that God does. Because there's no basis for our existence outside of God. Everything comes from God. So if God stopped sustaining us, we wouldn't be here. We'd be nothing. But God lovingly and ongoingly um, sustains us. But not only that, it gets so much better than that because not only does God lovingly and graciously create us, not only does he ongoingly sustain us through his grace, even when we're walking in the opposite direction, 
He then came and met us exactly where we are, in all our mess and brokenness. And he came in the form, uh, in the person of Jesus, uh, and died for us. You see, there's the picture of Moses' life um, that we see is a weak and broken and desperate man. A man who's on the far side of the wilderness and God comes and meets him and says, I know you can't do it. I know you're too weak. I know you can't achieve this. I know you're inadequate. But this is who I am. And I can do it. And I will be with you. And that's just an amazing glimpse of, uh, of what Jesus did on the cross because when, Jesus, when God came as Jesus, he not only sustains us, but then he came and met us. He came to earth and died for us. And that on the cross is, is Jesus going, I know you can't do everything right. I know you can't make it up. I know you've messed up. I know you're in a mess. But this is who I am. And I've done it. And it's finished. And all you have to do is accept it. I think our whole world is geared towards sort of strength uh, and ability and aptitude. Um, but the truth is we were made for dependence. We were made to rely on God because the, we can't do it all ourselves. We can't make everything better. And that's the whole point. That's what the gospel says. It says, I know what you're really like. I know what you've done. I know what you re- who you really are, but it's okay because this is who I am, what I have done. And all you need to do is rely on me. Because the truth is we are exactly like Moses. We are weak and desperate and we can't do it. Uh, and the picture, of, uh, the picture of Moses at the burning bush and when God says, I will be with you, is ultimately fulfilled uh, at the cross when he became a human, when God became human. And so when we look at Moses' life, we, it's so easy to see all this achievement and all this kind of great thing that he did. He led the Israelites out of captivity. What a hero. What a kind of an A-lister. Uh, and the truth is that he was an utterly weak man. He was totally unfit for the job, but he totally relied on God. And that's exactly the same for us today. We're we're totally unfit for the job. We're made for dependency. We weren't made to do it ourselves. We were made to rely on him. And that, I think, is the the greatest encouragement we can hear, that that he's done it. And so all we do is, is accept it. Uh, let's let's pray. So, Father, we we praise you. Thank you so much that you are good. That you came and meet us uh, in our darkest moments. You came, came and meet. You come and meet us um, on the far side of the wilderness, where uh, where everything seems to have gone wrong, and we don't have to get to a certain point. Um, before you will meet us, but you came and died for us exactly where we are. And praise you for that, Lord. And Father, thank you so much for the life of your servant Moses, for his, uh, that you chose a man who was so weak and so sort of incompetent in many ways, but he just completely relied on you. And thank you so much for that picture, for that lesson that we can learn from him. God, I pray that you will humble us, that you will show us how much we need you, how much we are. made for dependency we were made to to rely on you yeah father i pray that you will fill us with your spirit and uh, and just really humble us with that
that we will go from this place um, knowing uh, perhaps more of our own inadequacy but also more of your greatness. That, that we will um, more day by day rely on you and know you uh, as our saviour and as our king. Yeah. In the name of Jesus. Amen.